Hello everyone, welcome back to this short episode where we cover highlights from season two. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators podcast by CEFI, the European Society for Engineering Education. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. I'm Neil Cook. And I'm Natalie Went. Um, so this episode might serve as sort of a recap if you've already listened to the episodes that were in season two. Or also it might inspire you to go and listen to an episode that you maybe missed if you think it covers a topic that you would find useful. Yeah, and remember that the podcast description that comes with every episode has timestamps. And we also follow that up with detailed show notes, which are published on the Cephi website. Now, these provide so much more detailed background resources, references and further information. Yeah, lots of different ways to access that. Okay, so we've got a few people um, to thank for this season. It's great that the the podcast still is being listened to and we now have downloads that are across over 30 countries. Um, So we'd like to thank all the guests for the season who um, kindly offered to be asked questions by us. And we'd also like to thank the CEFI headquarters who have always helped in sort of making sure that the podcast episodes are advertised and helping us with uploading various things to the website. So thank you for that. And of course, if you would like to um, feature on future seasons, please do get in touch with us. Yes, please do. So let's move on to season two then. So the first episode was with Madeleine Ruth Palmier from Vray Universitet Bruxelles, and we discussed leadership. So what I remember from this episode was how, you know, Madeline really explained how leadership sort of conceptualized has changed from it being like a sort of innate property or characteristic that someone's born with to um, a sort of multifaceted sort of skill, which can be learnt and exhibited in in various ways. And also how it's very, um, you know, it exists within a, a system. So leadership, you know, you're surrounded by people and your leadership style sort of influenced by the system in which you're in. Yeah. So I think we really focused on on some of the different aspects of, of leadership and how it could be defined in slightly various different ways. Yeah, so let's hear a clip now from uh, Madeline on the episode where she defines leadership and talks about the lack of consensus about what it means. So leadership is something that I think is often discussed, but not always well understood. And it's been studied and talked about for decades. And yet there still isn't a lot of consensus around what it really means. Mm. And I think that stems in large part um, from the difficulty in defining it in the many contexts in which it's used. But in practice, uh, leadership is far more complicated and it is increasingly conceptualized more as a process and a set of competencies. So that was Madeline talking about defining leadership. I think, lastly, one of the key points from that episode was, although we were talking about leadership, we very quickly moved on to the idea of capacity building and that was, for me, the, the greatest value that I took from, from that episode, um, because capacity building models, I think, are really important um, for us to recognise when we want to, well, build capacity in, in, in any in any endeavour. 
Yeah, I think this um, sort of stood out to me as well, Neil, in terms of we've got all these skills and and also the skills, how they're conceptualized, keeps sort of changing as society changes. Yeah. But obviously that means that for us as educators, we, we need to have some further understanding of how we might go about teaching mm. those, those types of skills. So capacity building is definitely an important thing. So here's a clip of Madeline talking about capacity building. Yeah, so one way that helps understand helps us understand capacity building is looking at human behavior and so why people would choose to engage in capacity building. And so there are a number of kind of models or frameworks around that. <laughs> and so one that has gained traction is looking at behavior in terms of capability, motivation, and opportunity and how those three dimensions need to come together to influence human behavior. So a capacity building activity could be an intervention. And in order to get people to engage with it, we need to understand, well, what is their motivation to do it? What is the opportunity that they have to engage in it? And then what is their capability term in terms of their psychological or um, kind of physical ability to to engage with that. And so related to capacity building, the activities or interventions are only as good as if people actually participate. So that's why it's important in the context of engineering education to understand how and why educators choose to participate in these activities because they obviously have a host of responsibilities and constraints on their time. And so it's important to understand if they're choosing to participate in pedagogical training, for example, you know, what are they hoping to get out of that? What opportunities are there? And how can those be kind of optimized to ensure that the educators and therefore their students um, get the most out of it? So there was Madeline talking about leadership and capacity building. Should we move on to episode two, Natalie? Yeah. So for episode two, we spoke to Calvin Rands from TU Delft. And Calvin spoke to us um, about blended learning. So he supports educators in sort of making novel blended learning experiences. And he told us um, a bit about one of the courses he developed, um, especially in relation to the changes he made during COVID-19. So what do you remember about this episode, Neil? I remembered a lot about this episode. This episode was a bit different to to some of the others because Mm. Calvin is very much a practitioner focused and he has that media output. You know, if you go to YouTube, you can see Calvin in a TV studio uh, (laughs) (laughs) teaching some amazing things and Mm -hmm. and in qualities that most people, you know, only only dream about. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was was my thought of Calvin's... um, episode was very much you know let's put our creative hats on mm, that was that was that fun. was my my takeaway yeah think about the stories you're telling um don't hold back and and be too uh, stuffy if you like about uh, <laughs> about about what you're teaching so what i remember neil which i really liked is the fact that using this blended sort of approach where whereby calvin was sort of giving students exercises online 
yeah. sort of prior to the class meant that he could spend a lot more time with them within class time. Yeah. Um, and this led him to develop more of a coaching approach um, whereby he was able to sort of assist students with their their problems as opposed to, you know, teach them new material. Um, and that's an approach that I, I really liked. So here's Calvin speaking about that coaching approach now. Well, I, I had the benefit of when I started playing around with this, I did it in the bachelor in early courses. And the reason why I say that's important is I don't feel that um, the content is my expertise because most of us who have an engineering degree could teach any course in first year bachelors. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have a personal connection to the content. Right. Uh, okay. And I think that makes a big difference. Like some teachers you really see uh, in, in properly doing the uh, blended learning or, or, or transforming that learning experience, it's taking the perspective that the, the content is kind of just the context of the course. Mm -hmm. The learning experience is much more, and I hate the term soft skills, but soft skills works into there. Mm -hmm. um, the critical reflection, the higher order learning objectives on the Bloom's taxonomy, those are all kind of, they require that coaching role that requires them to take content and try and do something with it. So that was Calvin talking about his coaching approach. And later on in that episode, he also talked about the deep kind of connection that you need to make with students when you're doing coaching as opposed to just teaching and the phenomenon of what, what he called empathy overload. And the last thing is a warning. <laughs> if you get into sort of this coaching role and being more authentic, you are going to be connecting more with the students as people. Yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be overloading to uh, feel all of the struggles yes. and pain that students are going through. So you know, when I started doing this more, not just in COVID, but even now, I have students who feel comfortable to come and talk to me about they're struggling with this, they would like advice on this, and, and they're not looking for handouts. They're not looking, they're, they're honestly struggling through something and reaching out. Mm. And when you have 500 students, uh, that can quickly overwhelm you for sure. You can have a, an empathy overload. But I, I find my own ways to cope with that, but I, I see it as a, uh, a positive side effect in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm having that coaching connection with someone. I definitely think um, Calvin made a valid point there and something I definitely sort of struggle with when when working with students. So what's the next episode, Neil? Well, episode three was Sophie Kraps from KU Leuven, Belgium, again on identity, professional identity. Now, Sophie was working on a very big project in Europe um, the last few years called Prefer, um, mm -hmm. which is looking at the professional roles model. Now, many listeners may have heard of this project. If you haven't, please, uh, please look it up because it's been quite influential. And one of the interesting things that she picked up on was um, some of those struggles that people have and some of the competences that they need to have to overcome them. Well, 
it requires some self-reflection and that is not the most favorite activity of engineering students. Mm -hmm. uh, however, it is important to have a clear view on who one is, what your strengths and weaknesses are, interest values. So it's an important adaptive competence, actually. Uh, it is also associated with more confidence in one's ability in making good career choices. So it is important, but not something that yeah, students automatically <laughs> do themselves or engage yeah. in. So as part of um, that work, Sophie had sort of looked at the different types of roles that engineers do, and she'd managed to narrow them down to, to three sort of main types. So product leadership, operational excellence, and customer intimacy. And so then, you know, students could try and identify which one they were most suited to. But also an interesting sort of finding from the work was there was sort of a mismatch of roles. So you know, more students were interested in, in the roles that there were less jobs in, for example. So that was one of the, the interesting findings from that work. And here's Sophie now talking about that. The least in, in the innovative role, actually, where uh, if you ask students, uh, especially first year students, they're more in, most uh, interested in that role. So uh, there's a little bit of a mismatch <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, the most interested is the least available in the labor market, actually. Oh, no. But perhaps it's also the one that, that speaks to your imagination the most, yeah. uh, inventing yeah. new things and making the world better. And that's maybe also why they start studying engineering. Yeah. Um, so the, the preference change also over the, the course of <laughs> of the the, the engineering program. Uh, it's it's more differentiated um, when we, you speak to to master students. So Sophie there picking up on this idea that the innovative role, the idea of product innovation is something that uh, inspires students to do engineering. And that's something that we have to navigate. So, Natalie, let's move on to the fourth episode. So, for the fourth episode, we had um, Chris Smith from Glasgow Caledonian University, and he spoke to us about work-based learning, which involves sort of universities and industry partnering together to deliver a student's education. So, in this episode, we, we sort of spoke a lot about the different tensions, the different sort of types of degree available to students, whether that be work-based or, or solely within a university. And we, we also sort of spoke about all the various sort of stakeholders involved and their, their different ways of working and their different needs. So here's a clip of Chris speaking about sort of work-based learning as a sort of collaboration between these stakeholders. But to me, work-based learning is about a collaboration, a partnership in education that focuses on allowing an individual um, whether that be somebody in a full-time or part-time programme, to engage in authentic learning, something that equips them with theories, but also understanding the context in which they're going to practice those. So there's a kind of triadic relationship between an education institute, the students that are studying, and the work context in, in the form often of an employer. Now, as we talk to Chris about work-based learning, he talks about how no one size fits all. So, so I, I think the thing to highlight here in work-based learning, and, and I think partly what makes it so interesting, but equally uh, it's so difficult to nail down, is that there's so many different ways of doing this, mm. um, and that therefore there's no one size fits all. 
but each program team or each institution actually has to make a conscious, I hope a conscious decision about yeah. how it wants to do this and what can it resource and what vision might it have for what it's trying to achieve through this, mm -hmm. often in an iterative way. So Neil, Chris also sort of presented or made use of Arnstein's sort of ladder to show us the varying degrees to which you could collaborate. So that's another really useful resource if you're doing some of this work to look at. So what was the next episode, Neil? Episode five was um, Gillian Sorder-Smith from TU Delft in the Netherlands um, talking about communication skills. Now this was, for me, uh, you know, this is a fairly old topic and mm. What was interesting with Gillian was that, you know, that was one of the first things that, that she said, you know, some of the skills that we may be thinking uh, we're teaching in terms of communication skills are things that children today are learning in primary school. So here's a clip of her talking about how um, we need to change. So when communication courses were first introduced, it tended to be how to write a report and how to yeah. give a presentation. <laughs> that I think is how most of these courses started. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, when uh, PowerPoint got first introduced into the world, oh, we can do more. Yeah. So that's where the initial things is. Um, but if you think about it, when my kids went to primary school, they had to do PowerPoint presentations. Yes. <laughs> so should we really still be teaching PowerPoint presentations or should we teaching actually what is it that you are presenting and mm. how do you adapt to the audience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also with our engineering degrees becoming more and more international in terms of their, their, their more diverse and inclusive mix, how do you make sure that you don't refer to colloquialism so that people don't actually understand your message? Mm. So how do you adapt? Uh, this is where then the adaptive style comes into. Um, one of the things Siemens said was that the English language is really important. And yeah. whereas there have been other uh, cases where people said, isn't that racist to impose that on people? Mm. Within Siemens, English is the working language. So mm. being able to speak English is very important. Yeah. At the same time, when talking to Siemens engineers, they also said, but if you are going to work locally for us, we work a lot with small and medium enterprises. Mm. That means you also work with people whose English isn't good enough and who would prefer to talk to you in their local language. Mm. So one of the things they said they would really like to see our international students who would like to stay in the Netherlands, for instance, to also learn Dutch because it mm. means that their employability goes up. And in that episode, Gillian went on to uh, describe some new interventions that uh, people may like to consider. So Natalie, let's talk about the final episode. So for the final episode, we spoke to Lynn van der Broek and she also worked on the, the sort of prefer project like Sophie, um, but she was more focused on lifelong learning. Um, so she spoke to us sort of about, firstly about the way that the term lifelong learning is used and it, how it's a bit of a buzzword and sort of around the importance of understanding the sort of competencies involved and sort of breaking that down so we can understand how we teach students or, and like how we assess them and how they can practice it. So that was one of the, you know, the key points that, that Lynn sort of made. And we also spoke about our sort of responsibility as educators and then, you know, why lifelong learning is so important within our society today. So here's Lynn speaking about those issues. 
So considering the importance of lifelong learning, higher educations have this responsibility to prepare engineering students for lifelong learning in the workplace later. And, and traditionally, engineering curricula have focused purely on, on the technical and scientific knowledge transfer. However, by the time that students graduate, parts of the course content will be dated or, or incomplete. Mm -hmm. So the core function of education is no longer restricted to transfer all the field specific knowledge. And I think that's already uh, quite um, agreed upon um, in the engineering field, but also the professional skills and the learning capacity are becoming increasingly more a central part of, of education. Now, in this episode, Lynn went on to talk about how we could potentially learn from other fields of education, specifically the, the medical field. What we've learned uh, from the medical field is that they are much more uh, focusing on, on the self-regulation part of right. future doctors and, and what uh, type of doctor they want to become and also that they need to keep up with everything that is changing. So they really focus a lot more on this personal development plans and, mm. and also on, on reflection, a lot, a lot about reflection as well. So there you have it, season two highlights. We hope that you uh, enjoyed listening to them. And if you've already heard the episode, that might have served as, as a reminder, or it might prompt you to go back and, and listen to the episodes, which are available on all, all the platforms. So Natalie, can you share with us some of the plans for season three? So for season three, we're going to be speaking to a variety of people who've been involved in engineering education and engineering education research throughout Europe in the past few decades. And they'll be really speaking about the sort of changes and the difference that the CEFI community has made as well to, to sort of engineering education and, and research associated with it. OK, so once again, we'd just like to thank everyone for listening. And we look forward to providing more content for you to enjoy in Season 3. Take care. See you soon. Bye for now.